Petersfield's Shine Radio. This is Talking Books, presented by Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly. Hello, I'm Susie Wilde, and you're listening to Talking Books. If you're a new listener, welcome. And all I can say is I'm really sorry about my head cold. And I'm Tim O'Kelly of One Tree Books, with news of the latest books to look out for and with no cold at all. (laughs) (laughs) But a cough. Well, so... Bad weather and bad colds have changed this month's edition, as you know, Tim, so we'll have to wait until next month to welcome our guest, Eva Wong-Narva. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to meeting her, actually, and chatting her about her about her books. Excellent. But we'll kick off, as usual, with what have you been reading, Tim? Well, what have I been reading? I'm currently reading the new, uh, well, Tom Hanks's new novel. Now, I know you're always a bit sniffy <laughs> about, about people who, who transfer genres uh, at a late stage in life. Um, he did a book of short stories a, a couple of years ago. They were actually, good. We actually went, had some really good coverage on that. Um, so it's about the film world, which so write about what you know about, um, and I'm enjoying it. But it's I'm only 20 pages in, so that's early early days. En- Enchanted April by Elizabeth von Arnim, which is an old classic from um, uh, the 1920s, and it's about the possibility of change. It's a really interesting idea. And it's very very of its moment, really, if you if you see it in that way, and how we can grow. How it can change the picture, so I think that's, is that fiction or non? It's fiction, right? And it's about a it's about a four women who go to this place with with the enchanted garden, a, a castle in 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 Italy. Uh, they leave the sort of you know post First World War grim Britain behind, where it's where it's raining and sort of April um, April in in this amazing oh. place, and they all change, and it's about their change. It's quite it's quite light, it's quite witty. And you can be, you could be, you know, confused into thinking it's just a kind of fr- frothy short novel. Actually, it's about a bit more than that. I think. Let's go. So let's really, do it. I let's know, enact it's great. it. I read a, the the new Bond with a with a mind to kill by Anthony Horowitz, which was well, it's his last. It's outing, the last one. Isn't it? It's the last yes, one, and it I is. Really it is. Um, well, it's very Bond like. You know, it's, yeah. it does seem to be like it's like, very Fleming like, like it should be. Um, so um, I enjoyed that it, and. Uh, I've also read Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Dewar, which is um, we're doing for our book club in the bookshop here, and it, it's a it's a really interesting book about it's a book about books to start with. That's the first thing to say about it. But it's set in three different time zones: set in 15th century Constantinople, um, contemporary Idaho in America, and sometime in the future, maybe a couple hundred years ahead. And um, it's about a book. A book that's kind of a missing book uh, that we have fragments of that tells us about this place, Cloud Cuckooland, which is some, you know, amazing place where wine pours, you know, from <laughs> you know from from fountains and that sort of thing. And um, it's it's a really interesting, a really interesting book, and I think it's does worth, he handle about. those changes well? He does. He sets, you know, he, we we do a long, quite a long stint in each place, each time zone, and then and then he brings it all together. Uh, really well um, and I think it's actually he wrote All the Light We Cannot See um, which was a, it's been a huge oh, seller for us oh of course us. I knew um, the name yeah and, but this is um, which was about uh, a a set in France during the war um, and this is this is much more it's much broader and much more interesting so anyway that that's that's another book I enjoyed and a book called My Father's House by Joseph O'Connor but I'll talk about more about that another time when it come when it come oh. when it comes out because it's a, it's quite early you tease
Right, now we're going to head for our first interview with Bob Stone. John did a masterful interview with Bob Stone. Now, I adore Bob. He invited me to go and talk in his um, bookshop up in Liverpool, and he is just the loveliest chap. And I've caught up with him recently to find out if what had changed since the interview. Uh, and in fact, not that much has changed, except he's been forced to close the coffee shop upstairs. But it's now a record shop, um, which is rather nice. So off we go. Bob, tell us something about yourself, the area you're working in, and something about your shop. The shop's based in Waterloo in Liverpool. It's um, it's a suburb of Liverpool, probably I don't know, five or ten miles away from the city centre. It, it has been in its day quite a thriving shopping area with two main shopping roads. But um, over the years, it has run down quite a lot. A lot of the shops have been taken over by bars and restaurants rather than retail outlets. So the road that we're in, South Road, is actually quite um, quite a schizophrenic road in a way. It's got a one identity during the day and a completely different one at night. We've been here five years now. The building that we we took over actually used to be at one time before we had it. It was a gym downstairs and a Costa Coffee upstairs. But we now have the bookshop downstairs and uh, our own coffee shop upstairs. But it's a good space. It's a good big shop, which means we can, in normal circumstances, we can do um, good size events. Tell me something about the area that the bookshop is in, because I believe it's in a, and a, 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 forgive me if my terminology for this is, is wrong, a, a more impoverished part of Liverpool? One time Waterloo was was quite an affluent area. It's right next door to Crosby, which is which is much more affluent. But just at the end of our road, there's a, there's a row of huge uh, Victorian houses, which at one time were where quite a lot of wealthy people lived, including, um, among other people, the captain of the Titanic and also um, Mr. Ismay, the um, the architect of it. These days, though, it is, um, it's rather less. So there's quite a lot of lower incomes in the, uh, in the nearby, nearby areas. Uh, and Waterloo itself has suffered over the years for that. Describe to me how that works as a success for you as a as a small independent bookshop, assuming that the, the, the perception might be that, that people on lower incomes would go to a library rather than come in and actually physically buy books. Well, although, I mean, as as we said, there are, there, there are quite a lot of people on lower incomes around here. There are still enough people who are more of our target audience. Um, and people do come from um, from some distances away to to come to a good independent bookshop. So we do we do um, attract quite a quite a broad uh, spectrum of customers. Plus with having the coffee shop upstairs as well, um, it means people can just drop in for a cup of coffee and at least we're getting some trade like that. But really um, what we've tried to do is is set ourselves up as um as a bit of a community cultural hub really we have various events we have in normal circumstances we have various children's groups that meet here we have an open mic poetry night once a month and author signings so there's plenty there's plenty to attract people um although like every bookshop we are we're struggling all the time up against uh, the online 
retailers and the supermarkets. But we do still still attract quite a quite a broad clientele, really. So, what's the appeal of, in your opinion, of an independent bookshop like yours as opposed to possibly someone popping along? You've you've mentioned supermarkets and the online retail uh, book industry, but what's the appeal of your shop? Do you think in in relation to someone like Waterstones or one of the larger chains? Well, one of the one of the main things that I try and do here um, is support independent authors and independent publishers. I know perfectly well that I I can't compete with Tesco and Asda for the prices of the latest bestsellers. But it also means that if I deal with um, good independent authors, um, I can stock books that you can't get anywhere else necessarily. And particularly in, in the children's books, for example, children's picture books, I've got some beautiful books that you won't see in Tesco. Um, you probably won't see in Waterstones because that, again, is quite a difficult market to break into for independent authors. I get to support them. I get to have interesting books on my shelf that, um, as I say, you wouldn't necessarily get anywhere else. When you, you have a small independent like like me, if customers come in and they want to chat, they want to browse, they want recommendations, then there's there's somebody here that they can they can always talk to. And that's, that, I think, is particularly important when you're competing against the supermarkets. The supermarkets tend to have shelves full of books which are, if you like that, you'll like these. Whereas if you go into Tesco and say, well, I quite like uh, this particular book, have you got anything else by that author? The answer will be, have we got it on the shelf? Whereas I can order it or I can recommend other authors that are similar that customer might not have heard of. Um, you get the personal touch in a, in a bookshop like this. I think the customers appreciate that. I think books are particularly one of those um, areas where you do like to have somebody who can recommend something that you've never heard of before and who, if you come in often enough, you know you can trust the recommendations as well. Given that, how do, how do your customers then get to hear about the, the, the smaller authors, the less well-known authors? What What is it that that one attracts them to those authors and and in discovering them in the first place, but secondly, then obviously finding your shop as as an outlet for that. I think it's it's it's, it's the other way around. Once once they've found us, which is either by accident or design, then I can I can introduce them to to other books. I do keep the I keep obviously the the books prominently on display, and with things like um, well children's picture books as an example, I think um, if you have attractive books it doesn't actually matter who they're by uh, if a child spots one and likes the look of it their parents will buy it for them and equally if the parents want recommendations i can recommend them but largely the way i introduce them is by doing author events most of the independent authors i, I work with are from this area broadly speaking and by broadly that can include um whales even uh, i've had authors from from cheshire wales manchester and doing author events is, is a really good way of introducing authors that uh, people might not have heard of before because the children the children love to come and have a story told by the person who wrote it and they've we've developed sort of devotees of some of the authors in in just by doing that so they'll know that next time i do an event by a particular author they'll um they know it's going to be good and they'll come along so you've even had our own Susie Wilde come along and uh, spend some time with you. Tell me about that. Oh, that was a lovely evening. Susie came and um, and did a writing workshop with us, which was absolutely fascinating. Because again, I do have I do have a little hardcore of um, of writers who 
frequent the shop, even when they're not promoting their own books. They'll come to other things as well. And we had a lovely evening with Susan. We sat up in the coffee shop and it was a very creative, quite inspiring evening. She's a lovely personality. Everyone thoroughly enjoyed the evening. And Susie acquired, um, acquired some new fans in the process, I think. At the time of recording, there's significantly more of a lockdown in the northwest of England. How is that impacting on you and your bookshop? The bookshop, strangely, it, it isn't impacting hugely. And in fact, in some ways, certainly of late, as things have tightened up, there seems to be more of, um, more of a feeling of people being determined to support independence. So I've had people coming in who I know have come in because they want to support me at this time. It's impacted our coffee shop greatly, um, and even more so with the most recent restrictions by which people can't um, meet outside family groups because a good 60 70% of our trade were people coming to meet friends. So that was wiped out overnight. But as far as the bookshop's concerned, I mean, whether it's the run-up to Christmas starting or what, but there's a definite feeling that people are trying to support independence. And there's quite, um, in the local area, there's quite um, a movement at the moment on social media and other ways of trying to encourage all the local independents to, to support and promote each other, which we are doing. We're all becoming quite good friends, which is nice. Whether How it will continue to impact, I don't know. It's, it is worrying. Um, we've been lucky enough to obviously be supported with a grant from the government and also the furlough scheme. So quite how that's going to pan out after the, um, the furlough scheme finishes, I don't know, because my coffee shop staff are all on furlough or semi-furlough at the moment. We'll just have to see how it goes. It's 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 a worrying time. But we, we like to think that we try and keep optimistic and that things will return to some semblance of normality at some point in the future. And we'll be here to uh, to meet it. Talking about indie bookshops, Tim, you were on Broadcasting House recently, weren't you? Yes, it was quite fun and also quite nerve-wracking as well. Um, <laughs> um, being interviewed by... How uh, did they pick Paddy you? Uh, I'm not sure, really. They're looking for they're looking for some independent bookshop that a superb book. Well, that's that that survived through 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 the uh, difficult times of the last couple of years. Um, and the point was they were making was that independent bookshops are thriving at the moment. They're, you know, the numbers there are more now than there were ten years ago, which is yeah. you can't say much for, for you can't say that for for many um, types of, of retail. So that that's that's very very positive. And I was just chatting about about that mainly. Um, and um, uh, it was good fun. Excellent. Right, good. So we'll head off now for what's coming out. What do we need to look out for? Because January is normally a quiet month for books, but I've noticed there's a plethora. For instance, Landfall launched yesterday. Yay! My final book in the trilogy. And on Twitter, we were all wishing each other happy book launch day. And there were loads. I mean, obviously, I'm a bottom feeder. But there's like Peter May, Mark Billingham. I see all the prime oh, okay. things. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. So exciting. Off you go. And of course, there's been, a, there's been a, uh, another book. Uh, another book's just been published. Um, not to steal your thunder at all, <laughs> Susie, but uh, by a certain... Um, uh, a habitué of, of uh, California who has a written spare? His, a spare um, but we won't talk about that because everyone else has been talking yeah. about that so I don't think we need to I think he's selling alright anyway so what else is coming out this month well apart from the, all those crime books you were talking about Susie there's another crime book um, well I think it's more of a crime mystery I suppose 
Exiles by Jane Harper. It's New York and Harper. She did The Dry. The um, and I think it features the same character, Falk um, and, and Reiko, who were in that one. Um, it's, it's really different from any, any... It's not a procedural crime at all, because the guy who's doing it is actually a... The, our main protagonist is not a, a detective. He's a, he's, work, he's a policeman, but he's not a detective. He's working for financial crime. And this has nothing to do with financial crime. But he happens to be on... His, goes to see his, uh, his, his best mate... Um, and this hap- and things happen there. So, but it's it's about a community and about all the characters within that community in this in this small town in in Australia, and it's really well done. So that's Exiles by Jane Harper. Um, Julian Barnes's new book, uh, Elizabeth Finch, is just out in paperback. It's about a lecturer who has a profound effect on a on a mature student, and it's it's uh, it's it's nice. It's a short book, but it's nicely done as as always with with Julian Barnes. Um, Isabel Allende has got Violetta out, which sounds like a, an ice cream, doesn't it? But it's it not. So it's actually a um, Chilean name. Um, and it's about a, fa- it's a family saga set in, in Chile. Um, she did House of the Spirits about, oh God, about 30 years ago now, I think. Um, and this, this is a really good family saga. It rattles along, good pace, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, good writer. Uh, Mother's Boy by Patrick Gale is just out in paper, about to come out in paperback as well. It's based on the life of Charles Causley, the, 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 the poet. Um, and Patrick is always thoughtful, and um, we've talked about his, this book before on the, the programme. You do, there's a good interview. Anyone um, who wants to listen to it, it's there on the podcast. It's there on the podcast somewhere. But it's elegantly written, and he he's, writes with good pace, so I, I, I do recommend that. Um, and the last book I wanted to mention was uh, a biography, um, Gift of a Radio. It's just coming out in paperback. It's by, by Justin Webb, the... The, yeah. One of my favourite broadcasters, actually, yeah. He's, he does the Today programme. Um, but it's about his, it's not about his, his, his life as a famous person, it's about his bizarre childhood. Um, he, had a, he, had a, he lived with, a, with his mother, who was very eccentric, and a, his stepfather, who, who had uh, quite serious mental illness, I think. Um, and one thing is, we, we never meet his father, he never meets his father, uh, <laughs> Who who, read, who was reading the news on the uh, on the telly every night, and he never met him. He didn't even know who, that he was his father until quite late on in the piece. But it is an extraordinary um, book about an extraordinary childhood. The hardback was very well received, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think the thing what, thing is that he's he's turned turned into a fantastic broadcaster, mm. a really interesting guy. Um, and he the, the mother, though eccentric, is a very loving mother. Just is just very just eccentric and. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I think it's a really, really nicely written book. Well, unusually, um, I'm going to flag up a book coming out in February. It's Bard Skull by Martin Shaw. That's not the um, uh, Bodian Doyle, the professionals Martin Shaw, is it? No, it isn't. He may have curly hair. Yeah, we all remember that. Those of us with a certain age remember Remember the professionals, but anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry it's to interrupt right. you. There. I'm very impressed with John's dog Benji, who didn't stir during that rendition. <laughs> um, this may be a curly-haired Martin Shaw, I don't know, um, but he's a celebrated storyteller and interpreter of myth, and it's the record of three journeys into a Dartmoor forest made in the year before he turned fifty. It's not like his other books or a regular narrative. It's it's very strange, Tim. I mean, this is great radio, as John would always point out. But I'm just showing you each page. 
just looks as if it has random jottings on it. It's not like a straightforward linear narrative. Right. And yet it the the sum of its parts leads into almost a mythic journey of your own by the time you've got through it. I found a lot of it fascinating. I'm not going to say, oh yes, it's a rattling good read. But I think for anyone who wants to look at, I don't even want to call it experimental fiction because it isn't really. It's more like, what can I say? Um, I thought it was more like shards of myth, memory, voices scattered over the pages. It reminded me, because of this awful cold, of I've had several sleepless nights. And it's like that bit where you recognise that you're brain has gone off rambling and you know you are going to fall asleep shortly and it pulls up memory from the past bits of future things odd couplings Mm -hmm. um he's worked with mark he martin shaw has worked with mark rylance in the past and i thought this would make great radio and i'm just going to read one of my favorite bits because i had to suffer joseph campbell when i was doing my fine art degree so an example um it just on page 229 it, I just happened to open it here but we've got shit hits the fan when the mythological and the acutely personal get cosy as it always does Joseph Campbell used to wax on about the noble agonies of love I wonder if Joe really truly burned for it if he really knew what he was saying if he stopped his slideshow of comparative mythology for just a moment undid his necktie and just howled at the whole university crowd who had gathered to see him. I wonder. Tonight I'm working under Eternity's wick at my oak desk, sober and late for bed. I'm thinking about some of the other lunatics, wrapped in their furs, alive and dead, doing the same. So it's more almost like a poem. It's like the Bernardine Evaristo or something like that. It's just really hard to describe. But there we are. Bard Skull, Martin Shaw. So now we're moving to our interview, my interview with Mel Rogerson, also in October uh, 2020. Now Mel, I met at an SCBWI conference and she introduced me how to make books look even more beautiful, a concept that you struggled with a bit Tim when we first mentioned it but the world has entirely caught up with her now. Well I'm here talking to Mel who I met on uh, a writer's retreat ages ago. Can you remember when it was Mel? I think it was probably about two years two or three years ago that we went on that retreat yeah oh well how fabulous to talk to you again but tell me your life has taken a different turn so can you tell us all what what's happened where are you now i have a bookstagram account and a book blog called the book family rogerson uh which i post our family's bookish bookish adventures on and this includes literary days out um book reviews and book tips that has become quite a big part of my life now much bigger than anticipated and has led me to change my career so it's been a long journey and uh, quite a surprising one God, that's a major change. But now you're going to have to explain to me, and I hope a lot of listeners won't know either, what what is a bookstagrammer? What, what does that mean? Well, bookstagram is the bookish arm of Instagram, the social media platform. And that's where 
book lovers all over the world create uh, photography which is themed around books. So this can be displays of books, it can be pictures of individual covers, creative bookish photography, um, and also of kind of literary travels. So really, it's, it's a community, it's a subculture within Instagram uh, where you basically just follow people who post about books and talk about books. I mean, obviously, I see yours because I have followed you for a long time, so I didn't know there was this other aspect to it. Um, but, oh, I just love some of the things, the pictures that you actually make with books. Can you sort of say more about that to sort of describe them so listeners know what, what I'm talking about? Those book pictures, I went through a phase of taking our book covers and arranging them uh, on the hall floor so that they actually <laughs> work together to create a larger picture, a bit like a mosaic made from books, I guess. Were you at the top of the stairs then? Yes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we, yeah, so we, we moved house and I think it was just one day I was, I was playing around and feeling quite creative and thought, I'll just try this. Went upstairs, took a picture looking down from the stairs into the open hallway and the picture emerged and uh, the first one I made of those actually got featured by Instagram because they used to have a project called the weekend hashtag project where they would give a prompt and then people from Instagram would create a photograph around that theme Gosh. and mine actually won <gasps> and uh, was featured on their grid. So once I'd made one, I thought, yes, I'll, I'll make a few more. And um, I was actually featured a second time for a different picture, a different style of picture, but again, equally as as whimsical. I'm glad you said that. One of the aspects I really love about them, they always make me smile. Um, so in a way, yes, I love all the sort of reading nooks and crannies that you find as well. And we can all relate to that. It's like a rainy afternoon curled up in a gorgeous armchair. And that's easy to sort of recognise. Um, if I can put a couple of your photos on our website, um, so that if anybody does want to actually see, that would be fantastic. Or follow Mel on Instagram at the book family Robinson. I see that's what I did Robinson I just wanted to say it so I see what you did there the book family <laughs> Rogerson um, and that can be found on the transcript of this program as well so that's fine so let's move on a bit now let's talk about Giles Corran because he's saying that books are dead um, and that actually you're stupid if you have physical books in the home what do you make of that obviously disagree with Giles Corran. Um, <laughs> well, I think it depends on how you read and where you are in your in your book bookish journey, shall we say. On Bookstagram, there is a huge market for physical copies. And in fact, a lot of the book photography revolves around book collections. So uh, particularly amongst younger women, so we're talking about perhaps the 18 to 25-year-olds actually collect editions. Evidently, Giles is not part of that 
uh, that group and is perhaps not aware of this absolute appetite for physical copies for collections. Well, I think he sneers at that, actually. He's got, I've got a little bit here. I couldn't, you you mentioned the paywall yourself and it does irritate me in the Times because I had that as well. Without having to remember to go to a bookshop later to be jostled by a load of bone thick interior decorators looking for the beige section. So I don't think he's trying to be reasonable, do you? No, and I think you do realise that readers are actually reading the books as well, or shall we say collectors are reading the books as well, because they're reviewing the books. Oh, that's good. They're sharing the books. Now, that doesn't happen all the time on Bookstagram, but certainly on a book blog it does, because obviously that's about the writing rather than the image itself. So there's a huge appetite for reading, especially, I think, since lockdown and since COVID, because Mm. people have less opportunity to go out and enjoy things like going to the cinema or going to the theatre or going out for meals. So they're turning to books at home. Um, Although one thing I do agree with, Giles, is space can be an issue. And I think when you do get to a certain point where you have filled up all your space with physical books then yes audio and ebooks i'm at that point myself in that i love physical books but actually i have been listening to a lot more audio recently oh yeah i now i've just got into audiobooks and we do talk about those on talking books um we sort of did a sort of little trial run john wellsman and i at the start of this um and we will mention it again because it's so important to get the right voice for the right book and i'm actually recording my own audiobook of book one um and let's see how that goes where I disagree with Giles is that I actually, well, I disagree a lot, but one of the things is I think it's really important to move things on. So I don't hang on to all my books. I like to give them when they're pristine, I give them to the library or pass them on generally. And that sort of, it's like passing on energy. Then you can make space for your new books to come in and it just keeps me reading. Yes, I think that is something as well that a lot of book lovers grapple with is is which books to keep and which books to pass on. But you're right, Susie, there's so many different ways in which you can share books, whether that's between friends and family, the library, giving them to charity shops. There's a huge amount of uh, possibilities to, to share books these days. And that is the great thing about physical books, yeah. Does it seem to you that books are being talked about more since the virus? I, mean, I think you're right. I think reading and people are sort of saying, I've read everything on my shelves. But do you think it's just out there more now? I think the bookish community has always been very enthusiastic about books. So there's not been a huge change within the core reading addicts, I would say, that I come across online, where I have seen the changes outside of that circle. So uh, family and friends are reading more often and say they're they're starting to explore new ways of of accessing books like audio books. I think a lot more people are trying to listen to that, whereas perhaps in the past they haven't had the time to do so. I'm hearing that a lot of bookshops have had surges in sales Uh, particularly independent bookshops and in the media as well it seems there's a growth in in uh, new kind of programs 
that are coming our way. Uh, not that I know a huge amount about that at the moment, but I, on my radar, it seems as if more people are creating book clubs and just generally there seems to be more of an interest, yeah. Oh, that's I'm really glad about that. I mean, obviously, it's my bread and butter, as you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's but I just love the fact, you know, having taught as well. And and you've been there with your own writing and so on. Just to get the stories out into the world is just so satisfying. Well, I think we're lucky that we have a really rich creative culture in this country. And, you know, that that's been developed over you know many many hundreds of years and it still continues to evolve so yeah and I think the other the other great thing at the moment in the book world is is the explosion of own voices and new voices that's very evident from uh from the social media platforms that people are really trying to read more widely now as well and look at a lot of different types of voices in the book world and that that I think we'll just see that grow over the next few years and become a lot more mainstream. Well absolutely and and you know that's what Tim and I are hoping to do so if anyone is out there and has any suggestions for us uh, we'd love a diversity in voices on the radio as well absolutely that's such a good point Mel. I thank you so much for chatting to us. I know how busy you are. Uh, It's been a real pleasure. And let's talk again soon if you've got anything else you want to share with us here in Petersfield. Thank you very much, Susie. It's been lovely to speak to you. I think that that interview is really interesting, actually. There's a lot in there about about how we promote books as as booksellers now. And I think that uh, Instagram has become a a key part of of marketing uh, my bookshop. And we do we do we do quite a lot of lot of Instagrams and lots of reels as they call them the videos. They're brilliant. Um, uh, and, but basically, just me talking talking about what we what we've been what's been in our bestsellers. You know what I, what I like, what I don't like, um, and it is it is good fun. And I think that um, it's it's how it's how the industry has changed. And, well, uh, yours. I remember when we first did the interview that your Instagram posts, you know, one tree books. Instagram posts, the very static ones of just a book, like the ones I do, have about twenty-five likes. Now, what are you up to now? Well, Tim? some of some of the um, some of the top tens get get a lot of views. Actually, I mean, I think the one I did before Christmas, which is the top ten of the year, has something like seventeen thousand views. Wow! Which is which is a lot, really. That's colossal. Um, and, um, and it's nothing like that normally. I mean, it's much much less that. It's but, in the thousands. But it, it, what's interesting is that is that people are are, are interested in books. Books are, are definitely back on the agenda at the moment, and I think that that's uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, I think a book is just such a perfect thing; it can't be improved upon. I think that that's always going to be the case. But so, I'm um, just to bring you up to date with where Mel is now. Her bookish adventures so she she sort of slightly after the interview went more into um visiting bookshops so she was doing going possibly to very remote bookshops as well and absolutely the most gorgeous photographs of their interiors which she would combine with sort of quotes from some of their books as though I'm talking about one photograph in particular that I remember um, with sort of arches between bookshelves of quotes of some of the books that are in there. It's just brilliant. 
Um, and she was then living in the Peak District, and now they've grasped the nettle, and they're living quite near one of my favourite bookshops in the world, which is on the island of Skye. Goodness. So she's well, on the well island of Skye and coping with winter there. So I think we can share. It's quite chilly today. We can share the feeling, can't we? Indeed. So that's uh, it's very interesting, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing seeing Eva next next month. It'll be brilliant. Her book is um, so we can anticipate uh, the main one that I absolutely adore is called The House of Little Sisters, and it's um, carefully researched and oh, she knows a lot about it of British Malaya in um, the 1930s about young girls who could be sold as young as eight or nine to go and live in in households and i won't say more till we see her but it's really good as usual if you've enjoyed the program you can listen again uh you can go to on spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts and listen to any episode that we've done in the past and all the books are always on the website and often nice photographs i'm going to put some new ones up of of males and uh and and right blend so links to their websites also available that's it then tim fantastic see you next time see you next time bye you have been listening to talking books presented by Susie wilde and tim o'kelly and produced by john wellsman Could you be the welcoming face of a famous Petersfield hotel, bar and coffee bar? The Old Drum is now recruiting front-of-house staff to work in its historic Chapel Street premises. If you're experienced in hotel, bar or cafe work or the hospitality industry, then the Old Drum can offer you mixed shifts with sociable hours and no late nights. You'll need to be responsible and reliable. Pay is competitive. You'll be trained in barista work. And there's a choice of full or half-time roles starting immediately. Contact Maria at The Old Drum for more information or send your CV to info at theolddrum.com. 